Hi friends, I'm Molly from Relief from Darkness, and I am here with Dr. Lori. Hi guys. And our teammate, Allie. Hi. And we are recording a 10-session podcast series that focuses on the biblical recovery from substance abuse and addiction. So just as a reminder, each session will focus on the CPR of the recovery principles along with biblically-based steps to walk into identity and freedom, Woohoo! which we love. So these steps have been influenced by the 12-step program of AA, but take us deeper into the biblical foundation of recovery. So just as a little bit of a recap, Dr. Lori, can you remind us what CPR stands for? Absolutely. We have to be connected with God, ourselves, and others. We need to understand the psychoeducation of our brain, our amygdala, and our reticular activating system. And finally, routine is critical with our self-care. It's critical in reframing some of the really hard, awful things that have happened to us in the past. And then finally, we have to do something bigger than ourselves and make a difference in this world that we live in. Woohoo! That's good. Mm-hmm. So to kind of recap, we are on session seven of this series. And the first one was titled, Here I Am, Now What?, The second one was titled, I Can't But God Can, where we know that He can do it in us and through us. Number three was titled, Burn the Ships, where there's no excuses, there's no going back, we're here and we're doing it. Number four, which was my favorite, is I've Got Spinach in My Teeth, where we (laughs) took a deeper look about the sins in our lives and the thought processes that were not of God. You don't eat spinach, do you? No, that's disgusting. (laughs) And then... Number five, I know mine would probably be like candy or a lollipop (laughs) in my teeth. Yeah. Um, Number five was titled Own It, where we confessed finally to other people the spinach that we had in our teeth, and we confessed it to God, and then we went straight into the Nike anointing where we just did it, where now we acknowledge it, we've confessed it, and now it's time to actually start making the changes. And then... Number seven, which is super fun, a little drum roll. What's it, it takes called? you to make a thing go right. <sighs> oh, you shouldn't ah. have had to listen to that. Yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. Just to clarify, that was Dr. Lori mm-hmm. who just sang to you the title of today's message, which is indeed called It Takes You to Make a Thing Go Right. So, Allie, lay it on us. What does that mean as fun as it sounds? It means that none of us can take credit for that beautiful serenade from Lori, first (laughs) off. You're welcome. Second, it means that as we are putting off our old self and its ways of running things, we begin recognizing the toll it took on those impacted by it. Our addiction and the lifestyle that comes with it has implications that have affected other people. And this is where we began the process of making amends and living in a lifestyle of walking out the truth that God has called us to peace. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to look at that today. I love the way that 12step.org actually describes this part of the process. Say in step eight, we begin the process of trying to make peace with those around us who we may have hurt. By making amends, we do our part in helping create peace where there might be resentment, hurt, and destruction in the wake of our addictive behaviors. But I really want to emphasize our part. 
So Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is our part, is to pursue peace when there is destruction, resentment, hurts, to deal with that and come to a place of doing our part. We can't always, we, we can't control what other people have going on inside of them or how they will respond to these things. But my job is to pursue peace with all men. Mm. And so we start this with a time of reflection, seeking wisdom and asking for understanding regarding the nature of these relationships. And even taking time to list them out can be beneficial. I know that's what um, a solid sponsor in the AA program would probably suggest is sitting down and making a list of all the people that you had harmed. That specifically focuses on making amends to those that I have hurt. But in this podcast, I want to look at the big picture and include those who have hurt me along the way. So because it is, it's, it's twofold. Um, I can pursue peace with those that I've hurt, but if I'm still holding resentment and hurt and pain from those who have hurt me, then ultimately that's going to hinder the progress that I'm making in my recovery and the progress that I'm making in my relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So we know that resentments are a root that will lead us to all sorts of destructive behaviors. I'm sure Lori's probably got great brain language on that. Then we go into making those direct amends when possible, except when doing so would injure them or others. The question is, does God require us to take action? Wouldn't it be fine just to make a list and then put that list in the drawer and be like, okay, well, this is done. No, the Lord calls us to confront. He does. He requires us. Mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, this is the New Living Translation, says that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God is the minister of reconciliation. This is his design. Amends, dealing with hard things that come from the life that we have lived. And not just letting them stay in the background. You know, like a somebody who's got a room that's just filled with all the junk. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't want to have that. Especially relational. Like relationally, we are called to be in relationship with others. And so um, we're going to deal with that. And it is God's design. So Jesus is the perfect example. Uh, There are two scenarios that I think of, and one, and that's Peter and Judas. So one of them, Peter, was restored, and he repented. And the other, Judas, he died in his shame. Peter betrayed Jesus and went back to fishing, yet Jesus sought him out. Jesus sought peace and reconciliation with Peter. And I love that because Peter's out there fishing. He's doing what he knows and he's not doing it. Like there's no success (laughs) happening. He's not even doing it well. He's just frustrated (laughs) out there. 
and he has let down his Lord. Um, he betrayed him. He denied him. He hurt the Lord. Jesus shows up and he cooks him breakfast and he fills his net and he restores Peter to himself. And I love that because again, who is our example? Who are we pursuing? Who do we want to look like? We want to look like Christ. And so he is the one who created amends in the first place. And even I, even now I'm thinking of Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, God sought them out and said, where are you? And called them back. And then we have Judas, who never even tried to approach Jesus and ask for forgiveness. He, in a way, he tried to make amends, but I don't see that that was with Jesus. That was to alleviate his own guilt, like what we had talked about previously. Um, and it led to his death. He died in his shame. Mm -hmm. That was never dealt with. It was never fixed. Another example is Saul slash Paul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians before he was saved. We see in Acts 9 where it starts out and he's murdering threats against Christians and he's out trying to kill them and bring them in and imprison them. But after he is saved, he then seeks to join the disciples this man who was out killing Christians, he gets saved, he's converted, and he and he's like, wait a minute, I want to go join this team, but he has all this baggage. And so we actually see in Acts chapter 9, I highly recommend going and reading it. It's a long chapter. I will not read it to you. But after he is, um, after he's saved, the disciples question whether or not he's genuine in the scripture. And there's a man who has witnessed Paul's conversion and the conduct of his life, the evidence that he's found in the fruit of repentance actually allowed them to see and hear of his change and he was welcomed in. So again, this is somebody who was actively killing and destroying everything that they were working for. And because he was genuine in what he was doing, was welcomed into the group and is one of the heroes of our faith. Yeah. He is, I don't know how many of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul, but I mean, he built up the church. He was a missionary and he ultimately died for his faith. It's beautiful because we see reconciliation. We see restoration. We see life coming from that. So we are being transformed and living in pursuit of Christ likeness. So what are the biblical ways to make amends and resolve conflict? It is in love and humility with the goal of restoration. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. But if he listens to, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so the context of that would have been an outsider, um, somebody that would not have been welcomed into their fellowship. Sometimes we see even in that passage, restoration isn't what is necessarily right, but forgiveness and peace are still to be maintained. That is our part. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 4 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice 
be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Then Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. And I, I think about what happens if we're not seeking peace with all men and we're trying to build relationships along the way. We're most likely going to not be kind about those who we haven't obtained that peace with yet. I think it's just really easy for us to fall into a place of spreading that bitterness to others and causing divisions among people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So another is John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way that we walk this out, the way that we pursue Christ and we pursue peace with all men, the way that we do our part in keeping our side of the street clean and at least owning up to, listen, I hurt you and I'm sorry and I just want peace and forgiveness. We can go our separate ways. Whatever that looks like is going to bear witness to where we're at and who we represent. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And and even in recovery circles, there is a community. And a lot of times we see like they stick together. They have each other's back. Like they're they're trying to help each other get to where they're going. And how much more in the body of Christ should the world be looking at and seeing that? seeing a genuine love for one another that they don't quite understand. And I think that it brings desire for that into others' hearts and minds. So then we have Luke 17, 3 and 4 that says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Paul and Mark are a great example of healthy boundaries and wisdom. Paul was under real conviction to part ways after Mark abandoned them on a missionary journey, but then Mark wanted to go on another journey with them, and and Paul said, no, like he cannot go with me. However, what we see is um, it's wisdom, and it is living this very thing out. He still held love for him. He didn't go and slander him. He speaks highly of him in other places in scripture after they had parted ways. And peace was maintained. Forgiveness was accomplished. And Paul didn't compromise his initial conviction because he knew that from experience that I don't need to be traveling with him. And that's okay. We don't always have to go back into fellowship when we're making amends, when we are trying to create a place of peace with each other and with our past and with the hardships that either we have caused others or we have endured by others. So I have just two more scriptures to share. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, each of you, not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And I read that and I think about not only what's going on in my heart and how the Lord has called us to, again, be at peace with all men, but it also impacts the other people. And if I 
if I am humbling myself to be able to forgive and be forgiven, then I am not going to go around and I'm not going to slander another person. I'm not going to talk badly about their character. But the the final story that comes from scripture that reminds me of this very thing being lived out is Joseph. And so I just, I want to read this passage out of Genesis 50. Joseph endured horrible hurt from his family. Things that we would think would be unforgivable, an impossible situation with impossible people. But we see how God worked it out. And it is absolutely beautiful. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear from I in the place of God, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So he forgave them, he was restored to his family, but even more than that, he was humbled and he took care of them. Mm -hmm. He comforted them. Can you imagine the relief that that brought not only Joseph to finally have this issue dealt with, but probably his brothers who I can only imagine the guilt and shame that they were carrying, the relief that they would have had and how that bore witness to Joseph's relationship with God. Again, it's God's design. All of these steps are his design. It's his foundation. And we are so blessed that we get to look at them and we get to see his glory and all of it. And we get to talk about it and live it out. It's not always easy to humble ourselves and go and seek peace where there's hardship. Mm -hmm. It's not. That is a total act of laying down yourself and humbling yourself before the Lord And walking out what you know is true and right because he has said it. He has said it is. But it can be done and it's well worth it. That's so good. Dr. Lori. Yes. Do you have the CPR of this? Which just kind of sounds like receive forgiveness and forgive. Mm -hmm. And really, could it be that simple? And I think as we look at the biblical examples The foundation of the CPR is connection, our connection with God, and then our connection with ourself and with others. And the two greatest commandments is to love God with everything in us and then to love our neighbors as ourself. And so as we think about our relationship and how we love God and love Jesus with the Holy Spirit inside of us, I think about Jesus as not only the bridegroom, but also the king and the judge and that he will judge In the end, everything will be judged, everything that I did or didn't do. And I really need to repent and I need to make right the wrong things on this side of eternity. And it's really, really critical for me to take responsibility for the things that I've done. And I think in the middle of addiction, it's steeped with self-absorption and lying and secrecy and just a wake of terror relationally. 
And then for me to have to humble myself and to have the emotional intelligence and the connection with myself about what it was like on the other side of me and to go back and instead of trying to cover or be self-absorbed or fulfill my need, but actually to go back and to make the wrong things right and to repent and to clean up the mess that I've made is so, so important in the healing process for me to have and to see some of the consequences of the things that I've done. And I like to think about it as poop on my shoe. So if I walk through the yard and then I enter into your house and I track poop throughout your house, then I need to go get the Windex and a paper towel and I need to clean up the poop. And I mean, it's just really that simple. Yeah. And As we do that and as we then connect with other people and as I'm no longer as self-absorbed as I used to be, then I realize that relationally that people are going to manage me and I need to manage others from the standpoint that now that Christ lives inside of me, now that I've cleaned up all the poop that I've tracked for years that I'm aware of, that it doesn't mean that I have to spend equal amount of time with people. And I loved what Allie talked about with what happened with Paul and Mark. And in the middle of all of that, then, so as Christ lives in me, I'm cleaning up the messes that I've made. I love it. At No Boundaries, we have three rules that we're going to stick together. We're going to have fun and we're not going to cause hurts. And if we cause hurts then we're going to go clean up the hurts to the best that we can, we're going to forgive and we're going to be forgiven. And so then I know that in order to spend a lot of time with me and to be in my inner circle, that I need to demand high levels of respect and responsibility. And if people aren't capable of that, then I can love people equally and I can have peace with others and I can cover, but I don't have to then allow them into my inner circle and spend more time. So time is dependent upon people bringing high levels of respect and responsibility. And so as we look at all of these, I think it's really, really important that we take responsibility for the shame and the lying and the secrecy and the hiding and the covering, and we go and clean up the messes that we've made, and then we learn how to effectively connect with people, and we love all people, but we don't allow people equal access into our hearts. And so I think that this this one is just steeped in the connection with God, ourselves and others. Yeah. You know, before I came to know Christ, like I was just horrible to people. Like my relationships were just trash. And when it's kind of like the when you're in the addiction or when you're in that kind of a lifestyle, it's always everyone else's fault. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's something about having to own it that like I just relate so much to Joseph's brothers. <laughs> You know, like everyone, I want to be the, I want to be the Joseph, but in reality, if I look at my past like stuff, like I relate to his brothers, man, like you do these horrible things and then you saw like how they're thinking, like it's, it's tormenting, like they're being tormented with how is he going to react? Is he going to hate us? Like, and so before you can, it takes even just courage to just even go and address it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just on a personal level prior to to healing and prior to really having an encounter with with the living Christ I 
had a very, very best friend that we did everything together. I mean, work together, live together, play together, all of those things. And I was just horrible to her. And I didn't know it until on the other side of it. But she constantly had to clean up my own, my poop. I drug poop all over everywhere. And she and was, she was the one who was cleaning it up. And then the people that I was around, like they would cover for me. If I was drinking at work, you know, even like whoever, they would come and get me and then take me outside. I'm like, you have to leave. We'll cover for you. But you have to like, you can't be here or whatever the thing was. Until finally, she just couldn't do it. And she's like, you know what? Like, I can't do this. And I took that as a fence. And I was like, who? Like, I don't need you anyway. Like that mentality, which is just that fear of rejection. Like all, like when people are defensive like that, it's fear. And that's the under thing of it. And I was just like, got into my own headspace of, well, then if I don't have to admit that I've done anything wrong, I won't hurt. And I don't have to be scared. So then you just don't. And then you just get into this headspace that becomes that whatever neuropathway of each time I'm confronted with a responsibility, I'm going to run so that I don't have to be in pain. And it probably was a year. Like I probably knew for a year that the Lord was working in my heart of literally this very step. Of, and it took me a year to like finally just like reach out. And I typed her up this message and it's just like, man, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry for who I was. I That things are different now. I can see all the messes that you cleaned up throughout our 10-year friendship. And I'm so sorry for how, I mean, I've left her places. I Like, all kinds of things. And just like, I'm so sorry. And her response was nothing but love on this side of it. I hope you're well. And like that, which she didn't have to respond like that, but... To even be in a headspace to know like what God has done and what he's forgiven in us, then if we can forgive ourselves in that and then go take responsibility, then that torment, just like with Joseph's brothers, it just stops. And I think it stops probably regardless of however it goes, because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about God. So... That was kind of personal on a personal story of a walk out of that. Allie, have you experienced something similar? Yes. As we're sitting here, lots of different scenarios going through mind and some are active today. Right. Um, But I remember, I think we talked about this maybe in another podcast, but my parents and my grandmother, I remember sitting there just lamenting over the ways that I had hurt them. And and you can't see that when you're on the other side of it. But I just remember sitting in my parents' kitchen and I was watching them and I was thinking about all the things over all the years and how beautiful it was that I got to sit there. But I realized that I had never told them how sorry I was. All the hurt that I had caused them for the sleepless nights, for the fear. I remember my mom calling me and telling me just stories the best sleep she ever got was when I was in jail. <laughs> That's what, I mean, she told me that. Yeah. Um, there's that. And I have peace in, in all of my relationships today. There are people who I love dearly that are still on the other side of it. 
and I have given that to the Lord. I have forgiven them. They have not necessarily forgiven me, but I know that if I were given the opportunity today to walk up and just hug them and pray over them and speak truth, absolutely. There's one particular friend who we just were not good to each other at all. And when I started using, he was right there. And today he is not in a good place. But over the years, we have maintained a little bit of contact here and there. And it's growing. And there's there's peace there. Where the last time I saw him, it was not. Yeah. There was a lot of tension um, and strife and just yuck and that. Um, but today it's different. And he knows where I'm at. And he wants to have conversation about it. He wants to have conversation about where he is. Um, And so I really appreciate that. I appreciate the Lord um, actively working this out as we go. But I, too, have two ladies that are in mind. One was a roommate, and she was not an addict. And I can only imagine what fear and anxiety she lived with while I was doing the things that I was doing in our apartment and it did not end well, but I reached out to her. I saw her one time at the mall and this was maybe five years ago and I got to tell her that I'm sorry and I'm better now and you did not deserve any of that. And just thank you for being there. Um, and I just remember her looking at me really weirdly, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but okay. Um, we don't have a relationship today, but I know that if we saw each other, it would be with respect and care. And another was someone that I I knew my entire life. And she also just received a lot of the impact of my addiction. Um, And I also was able to reach out to her and share everything. And again, it's not today. There's not a relationship that she would want to have, but there's peace and there's forgiveness. And I, again, if we, that's, it's, that's something that keeps money running into my mind is if I run into somebody, just if I'm at the store, what would the encounter be like? Because I think that that is going to show whether peace has been made mm-hmm. in a situation, whether there has been forgiveness, whether there is amends and resolve. Because if I feel like I have to go and hide, or if they don't want to talk in any way or even engaged, then there's probably still something there that needs to be dealt with. And so I think that that's a good, just practical way to look at where you're at with that in regards to relationships. But yeah, again, lifelong process. Absolutely. And then even like how you would feel if someone approached you, you know, like on that side, like, are you still like, ah, like, I don't like, I'm scared of them. I don't want to talk to them. Like, So just meaning that it can go both ways, like how they would view you and also how you would view them, which would be a good gauge of have you forgiven or is there any unforgiveness in your heart, which is just a good practical tool. Dr. Laura, you love forgiveness. Absolutely. That's your like jam. And in the middle of this title, it takes you to make a thing go right. We purposefully titled it that and it wasn't, it takes you and their response to make a thing go right. Yeah. So I think as much as it depends on us. And then I really think that this requirement is for us as followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And if we're not going to follow Christ, this is supernatural. And 
I really like that we've talked about the things that we've done and we need to have accountability and we need to take responsibility and we need to see the harm that we've caused or we need to go clean the poop up that we've scattered everywhere. But then as much as it depends on them, but I also like that Allie took it one step further with the question, is there anybody that we need to forgive? Because really bad, horrible things happen. And I don't think we can really rate one thing is worse than another because sin is sin and they all separate us from Jesus. And so what has to happen for us to really forgive? And so I'd like to ask everybody to just take a moment of reflection and let's just ask Jesus this question. If you are following Christ, that means we actually follow him and we do what he says. And he said, we have to forgive. And so let's ask the question, do you need to forgive? Is a door to unforgiveness open or closed in your life? And do you need to forgive yourself? Do you need to forgive others? Do we need to forgive God? Could we be offended at God or at Jesus and what they, what we think that he did or didn't do or, but, but this is really critical. And it's because of the work on the cross that all of us can forgive really, and all of us can be forgiven. And so I just want to read just a real quick quick description out of the book called Suffering in the Heart of God, written by Diane Langberg. And I think she articulated this so well as we deal with people that have done unimaginable, horrific things. And as we've had unimaginable, horrific things done to us and in the context of the things that we could have done while we were using and we didn't even know what we were doing. She writes, the crucified is the one most traumatized. He has borne the World Trade Center. He's carried the Iraq War, the destruction in Syria, the Rwandan massacres and the AIDS crisis. He's carried the poverty in our inner cities and the abused and the trafficked children. He was wounded for the sins of those who perpetrated such horrors. He's carried the griefs and the sorrows of the multitudes who has suffered from natural disasters such as earthquakes, cyclones, and tsunamis. He's borne our selfishness, our addictions, our complacency, our love of success, and our pride. He's been in the darkness. He's known the loss of all things. He's been abandoned by his father. He's been to hell. There is no part of any tragedy that he has not known and carried. He has done this so that none of us need face tragedy alone because he has been there before us and will go with us. And I think truly that forgiveness and unforgiveness and us making amends and us making things right is really a command that all of us have to do. And as we do that, it's not for the sake of the other person or for the sake of Jesus or God or or whatever. It's actually for the sake of ourselves because unforgiveness makes us really, really sick and it makes us really, really unhealthy. And then us to continue to offend and to perpetrate others or to be self-absorbed or to cause pain or to even track poop in every environment that we go into. It's just really not right. But because of what Christ did, it's all so doable. So I would encourage everyone to take a just a really good self-inventory about have we gone back and have we made amends where it's safe? We don't always have to go back, but in our heart of hearts, Are we honoring? Are we covering? Are we talking smack? And then are there people that we need to release and that we need to forgive? 
Because if we hate anyone because of sin, then we're doing it all wrong. Yeah, that was it, I think. Ellie, any final words? So if you're in this place of of needing forgiveness or needing to forgive, then I just, man, I pray last session over you of the Nike anointing of just do it because it's worth it and it's freeing on both ends. And it's like this weight that will just lift off of you. And so forgive and be forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You have been listening to Relief from Darkness, the biblical recovery from substance abuse and addiction. So we will see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to our Relief from Darkness podcast. If you would like more information or are looking for more resources to help overcome the topics we've discussed here, please visit the No Boundaries International website at www.nbint.org, where we have a free e-course titled Journey of Restoration. And be sure to please leave us any comments or reviews as this will help get our content out to more listeners. We're praying for you guys and we will see you next time.